Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And we've said many times that there's never a boring week in the world of Bitcoin, and these past two weeks have certainly been no exception. Unfortunately, it's not all great news, and the exchange rate for Bitcoin and its market cap have fallen about 30% during that time period, along with a significant portion of the crypto market. And Bitcoin even fell below the $20,000 uh, level for a number of reasons, which we are going to cover in this episode, along with some other adoption news. But Matt, let's get started with the, the big news, which is that the crypto market and Bitcoin with it uh, had what I guess people are going to call a pretty significant crash over the past two weeks for a number of reasons. Yes, I, we can see uh, somewhere around a 75% drawdown from the all-time high. When you hear the term drawdown, you know, really you're talking about how far has the price of an asset dropped uh, compared to where it was at its at its latest peak, and and when you hear these large drawdown numbers, that means that you know if Bitcoin was trading close to seventy thousand dollars a coin uh, late last year, it's now you know down in around the uh, the twenty thousand range, and that's a, a, a pretty significant decline percentage wise. An interesting thing though that I, I think you and I have been talking about is that when you look at um, at some of these types of drawdowns, it's really not uncommon. And, and, and we pulled charts on Apple, Amazon, and Google just to kind of demonstrate the idea that there's really no asset that's going to be immune from the cyclicality of the market. And what you're seeing here is a uh, on the bottom, that's 2004 through 2019. And this is Apple's um, price compared to its all-time high at, at, at the time. So you see those drawdowns happening and those large downward spikes represent the bit, you know, the, the further down that large spike goes, uh, the bigger the drawdown. And so you can see over that 15 year period where there were multiple times, pretty much, you know, multiple times per year where those uh, prices fell from a much higher level. Um, and you can, if you look at Amazon, um, on a similar type of time frame, you'll see the same types of cyclical ups and downs. Um, and Google the same here compared against the S&P. Um, you can see it kind of tracks with the market in that case. And so it's the overall market that's, that is known to go through these cycles. Um, but those cycles don't necessarily tell you a whole lot about the underlying value of that asset. So maybe give us your thoughts a little bit on, on what this all means in terms of the overall um, fundamentals of Bitcoin and you know what we can expect in the future. Sure. So first, uh, let's put the required disclaimer in there is that we do not give out any investment advice. We do not tell people what to do. We do not tell people what not to do. We just like to come on here and try and have an intellectually honest discussion. So uh, with the disclaimer out of the way now, the, the first thing is, is does this affect the argument to own Bitcoin? Is there anything fundamentally different about Bitcoin? And the answer is no, not in any way. Um, and you could use the, the corollary to that, which is in November when it hits high of 69,000 or so, was Bitcoin better? Uh, November would be, what, eight months ago? So was, was Bitcoin in a better position eight months ago or is it in a better position today? And I think with the episodes we've had in the past and a lot of the adoption stuff we've gone over, uh, I think that the outlook for Bitcoin, once again, not investment advice, but the outlook for Bitcoin going forward uh, today, even though it's, it's down significantly from its high in November, so eight months after its high, the outlook for Bitcoin is, in my opinion, uh, better than it was before. Not that I didn't expect much of this to be happening because it, it's, it's on the trajectory that I think many of us who have spent a lot of time studying it and thinking about it uh, assumed would happen. But, but this, the short answer is that fundamentally nothing is different about it. And I'd like to bring up a, a, a personal thing that happened to me while I was investing in Apple. So it's something I've, I've talked about previously on the show, but I pulled some data 
because I know that I held Apple stock from 2005 to 2020. And when people hear about that, it's, it seems like kind of a no brainer. Uh, Apple is a, um, is the world's largest uh, publicly traded company, I believe. Uh, although I think uh, Saudi Arabia's oil company may be bigger, but everyone knows Apple. Apple is the, is a monster. And um, so here's some numbers I think would surprise some people. So on, on December 24, 2007, Apple had introduced iPhone six months earlier. And uh, it, Apple hit its high. And then two months after that, Apple fell by 40%. Now, this isn't people talk about the volatility of Bitcoin and things like that. But but a stock like Apple falling 40% of the time was really, really significant. And then the volatility was even crazier because in May, three months later, it almost recovered. Mm-hmm. And then in March, which would be uh, about 10 months after that, it fell again. And this time, Apple was down 57% from its high. So let's think about this. Apple has now had iPhone out for two years. It's one of the most revolutionary things we've ever seen in our lifetime. They're selling, people are lining up. Like crazy. Crazy. People are lining up to, if you want a new iPhone, people would line up for days, literally days to make sure they got it. If you camp out, if you didn't line up for a new iPhone, you weren't getting it. So Apple's got the hottest product. That's out. It's it's revolutionary. It's really changing the world. And yet two years after this, their stock is down almost 60% from its high. And during this stretch of time, Apple stock didn't recover until October 19, 2009. So Apple was essentially down for two years before it recovered. So people talk, once again, we're gonna go through some other Apple numbers. People talk about Bitcoin so volatile and Bitcoin is volatile. Bitcoin trades 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and it trades worldwide on lots of different platforms. Whereas Apple stock uh, trades on the US markets, you know, they're only open for really a limited number of, of hours each week. And when the market really starts to sell off, there are curbs that come in, the market shuts down, you know, you can't keep trading. So because of the freedom Bitcoin has to trade, it's going to be it's going to be volatile. But even when we compare Bitcoin to some of these other blue chip stocks, we can see that while Bitcoin may be more volatile, it's nothing it's really it's not that much different than uh, what you saw from Amazon on one of those things or what you saw from Apple. And so I'd like to go through real quick some of these other parts, which was that in that period of time, it took 22 months for Apple to recover. And then three years later, it happened all over again. Apple lost 44%. So now iPhone has been out for five years. Apple has gone from being a struggling company uh, that that sold uh, iPods, which really helped the company survive. And now it's got the hottest product out there. Everyone's got a smartphone. Five years after the introduction of iPhone, everyone has a smartphone, whether it's made by Apple or not. They really created this this unique new category. And yet their stock falls again after this, after just recovered, uh, three years later, it falls again by 44%. And it stayed it took it took that time twenty three months for it to recover the forty four percent from its peak. So when we're looking at Apple between two thousand seven and two thousand fourteen, so seven years of of iPhone being in existence and seven years of Apple going on to be you know this this massive massively successful company, it's it's stock. <coughs> Excuse me was really doing poorly for four of those seven years. It's kind of crazy when you look back on it now, you would never think that, but I know because I was in it and I remember how, 
how unpleasant it was during that time and how I just kept, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I was paying a lot of attention to what they were doing. I thought the company was being extremely successful. They were selling more and more units of iPhone almost every quarter, year over year, meaning like fourth quarter for Apple is always the biggest quarter. But sure. the, the fourth quarter was like 30% over the last fourth quarter, et cetera, et cetera, going back years. And then it actually gets a bit worse that after Apple recovers in 2014, and keep in mind, there's no, there are no macroeconomic issues going on. Right. Less than a year. So it recovered fully in August of 2014. And in May of 2015 it started to go down again so less than a year later it starts to go down again and this time it only goes down 32 percent but it took apple stock another 20 months to recover and so matt if you don't mind would you pull up the apple slide again because there's a number on there i want to be able to pull it but we can look now between we can say okay between 2007 2017 almost mm -hmm. which is 10 years Almost six of those years, Apple was recovering much in the same way that people are going to think about Bitcoin and talk about Bitcoin recovering comparing to its peak. But there's a really important thing on that chart that I, I thought was interesting where it said during this time period, an investor mm -hmm. would have generated 13,064% or a 38.79% annualized return. Now, you would have only had that return had you stayed in it. And if you understand the way stocks move, there, there are just certain days you don't want to miss out on the gains you would get or certain weeks where, where you see a lot of gains. But, but the point is, is that if we look at one of the most successful stocks and, and a company and a brand that everyone understands, which is Apple, and we take a look and say, okay, of this 10-year period – I'll ask you this question. Would you have ever guessed that Apple was, was actually recovering like in a, in a technically recovering from, from a drop for six of those 10 years? Yeah, that, that surprises me. I mean, obviously when you get into the 2008 to 2010 range, you would expect there to be some significant drawdown just based on macro factors. But the fact that it was down for that much of that period and at the same time was so fundamentally good as a company is what I think is really important here. And, and from my perspective, the correlation between that and Bitcoin is that you've got, you know, what I think is a fundamentally great asset that you're seeing, uh, you know, these similar types of drawdowns throughout the cycle. If you zoom out and look at it, at, at the entire uh, history of Bitcoin, there's, you know, all, you always have these drawdowns and build, build ups and drawdowns and it builds back up. And to some extent, it just seems like it's par for the course. Um, there are a lot of other extenuating factors in the overall digital asset market right now. Um, you've got all these exchanges and altcoins that are kind of um, crashing and cratering and blowing up in a way that brings Bitcoin and all of the other crypto assets down with them. Um, you, and so I think that's a, 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 an externality that has really in a way has nothing to do with the, with the fundamentals of Bitcoin and what it is. It's just that it's part of a basket that's, you know, all going in the same direction. Right. And look, the, the stock market is down. I, I haven't checked today, but I think the NASDAQ is down about 30% and individual companies in there and particularly some of the FANG stocks are down more. I know Netflix is down about 70%. Mm -hmm. So the, the it, people are funny. You know, if people, if Bitcoin was at 70,000 right now instead of 20,000, people would be, I think they would be, trampling over each other to get in there when people see something going up they just want to pile in pile in pile in and and then of course when it goes down people are saying oh i'm really glad i didn't get into that or i wish i had sold and i i wasn't here and maybe that would stop them from from buying more in the future but uh i think it's also important we discuss why the the crypto market in general took a hit because I, I think that there are some a number of important lessons there. And 
And I also think in this situation, the crypto market in general pulled Bitcoin down. I agree. Um, this is not necessarily uh, anything to do with with Bitcoin itself. And when we get into, you know, the adoption section of this podcast, you'll see there's every single week, there's just more and more um, adoption of Bitcoin. There's more and more infrastructure being built, more mining operations being built. So it's not like you're seeing a real slowdown in the growth of the technology or the infrastructure around it. Um, it's just part of a market that's just extremely volatile right now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there it's, it's worth mentioning that a lot of their, their, there's Bitcoin and then there's everything else. There are 20,000 other coins. We're going to call them altcoins. There are some other more colorful names for them, but we'll keep it clean. It's a family show. Exactly. And (laughs) we've discussed it on the show before that of those 20,000 other coins, 99.9% of them are, are like penny stocks, they're garbage, uh, they're scams. Um, well, most people I'll, are going to lose all their money on them. I'll tell you what the, all of them are not. Bitcoin. Correct. And, and you know, I know you've had this experience that you're having a discussion with someone because crypto is, is, is discussed quite a bit and you, you say something about Bitcoin and they'll bring up like, I bought a ton of Doge or I am really, uh, Solana. I mean, there's so many. I know Solana. <laughs> I hear that one a lot. Shiba Inu, Cardano. They're bringing up these things. I'm not trying to disparage any of those projects. I don't really know a whole lot about any of those, what the, what they are all about. But I can tell you that none of them even remotely resemble what Bitcoin is. They The thing they have in common is that you can, on your phone, they look similar. Uh, people call Bitcoin a cryptocurrency and they call these other things cryptocurrencies. But Bitcoin is truly decentralized. Bitcoin does not have a CEO. It does not have a marketing department. It doesn't have any employees. And every one of these other coins uh, does have a CEO. It does have mm-hmm. it, employees of sorts. I mean, you know, you can, a lot of stuff is open source. You can just copy and paste and you can have your own coin. So, the number of employees that may be there uh, is irrelevant, but there's always a, a human behind it. And it, these things are not decentralized at all. Well, they're decentralized and, to a degree, but they might, they're decentralized to a degree and they might be, you know, r- using blockchain technology to keep track of their ledgers. That, that's kind of where the similarities end for me. Um, w- with the, the big issue being that you've got in almost all of these cases, and especially in the ones where you've got, you know, proof of stake type of consensus that there is an unfair advantage to the people who got in early. And if you came up with the idea for some X coin, whatever it is, um, and you know that there's going to be a billion of those coins in existence over some period of time, but that, you know, the first 200 million of those billion are going to go to you and your investors and your developers, then what you're really doing is setting up a centralized uh, asset. It's basically a company at that point. It's like a tech startup, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it gives the people that and, and those pre-mined coins are basically founder shares in that tech startup. And what happens in a lot of cases is those go to the market um, so that the founders can can create liquidity for themselves and get some chips off the table. And the next thing you know, someone else is left holding that bag. And that's just something that we've seen over and over again, um, you know, since these things have been in the marketplace. Agreed. And even Ethereum, which which I think arguably has the best use case of any of the altcoins, it's still not Bitcoin in any way. Uh, 70% of Ethereum was pre-mined. So the yeah. creators of Ethereum got 70% of it. And uh, when Ethereum moves to proof of stake, if that ever does happen, they've, they've had a lot of delays in getting there, but if it does move there, 
that means that that those people that are holding those coins are going to have a full control over what happens with that network moving forward. Even if they don't still own 70%, I, I'm fairly confident it's, they're going to own over 50%. And when you move to proof of stake- It's still a manufactured advantage. It's not mm -hmm. a natural, it's not a, it's not in any way truly decentralized. You have a group of people that will have an advantage over another group of people when it comes to making the rules. Yeah, and, and I think that I'd also like to mention that these services that are offering these really high yields um, right. are usually going to be scams. Once again, not investment advice, but you have to ask yourself, where is this yield coming from? How can they afford to pay me? I know uh, one of the companies that's in trouble right now that have, have frozen withdrawals is Celsius. Mm -hmm. And... I never got involved with Celsius. I, I always, uh, I, to be honest, it was it did not give me comfortable feelings. Although, you know, the the yield was certainly appealing, but I just I couldn't get comfortable with it. But I think their yield was was it around twenty percent? It was like high teens in most yeah. cases. It was, but it, it was unreasonably high for the um, for the amount of risk that they were implying that you would be taking. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, that, and that's where it gets a little squirrely to me is that if you, someone is willing to pay you, you know, 10, 15, 20% for essentially the equivalent of a bank deposit, um, you have to ask yourself why, and realistically, there's going to be risk involved in order for somebody to justify paying that. And then the next question is how long can they afford to pay that for? If you're talking about, um, you know, anything other than just money coming into that system and a portion of it going to pay out interest. Um, and you just have to hope that you can keep kicking that can um, forever until, you know, someone else is eventually holding that, that last bag. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that uh, even though I'm not particularly knowledgeable about it, I don't think we've seen the full shakeout from it yet. You know, there, there are people that were, I don't know how I would best describe it and be polite, but there were there were a lot of scams in the crypto world. There's just scams. Uh, I think that's the best way to put it. That you know, it's there's an old saying, and it applies here. If it if it's too good to be, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, I know people that did really well staking and and doing these yields. Uh, I know a guy that. Uh, paid off his house actually he had a little bit left on his house and he staking like ohm coin or something like that and I, he, he had a nice uh, a nice score from it sold out paid off his house and he didn't pay off hundreds of thousands he just had a little bit left and then he went back into it and i think he's lost like everything he put into it almost i think i think he i think he's lost like 90 plus percent maybe more the second time around, but he was smart enough to do something good with the money the first time. So I think what we're going to see in Bitcoin is we're going to see the, I think we're going to see a lot of the crypto market and a lot of the altcoins die off. I mean, we, we, we said those were going to go to zero. We've never recommended them to anybody. We've told people to always be cautious with those uh, simply because they're not Bitcoin. If you understand what Bitcoin is, they're, they're not even a distant second, these coins. They're really, sure. They're just garbage. You know, you, you have this really, really amazing, like the best money ever created, like perfect money almost. And this incredible system that keeps it alive. And then there are copycats. And because it's all digital, it's not like trying to copy the iPhone with, uh, you know, uh, some uh, cheap knockoff, which you still need <clears throat> like manufacturing capacity for and, and things right. to program and operating system, et cetera, et cetera. With these other coins, you can just hit copy and paste. Make them out of air pretty much. Make them out of and air just, and give a value to them and give them to people and get people to promote them. And, you know, people are just, you know, there's a gold rush there. And just like the, uh, the original gold rush, people are going to lose a lot of money. And just like the original uh, internet stock. Boom. And now, look, I'll say again for probably the third time is that we're not giving investment advice, but but you have to ask yourself with any of those investments, um, 
if they seem appealing financially, meaning that someone's willing to pay you yield on it or whatever, you, you really have to ask yourself, what is the use case for that asset? What is it trying to, what problem is it trying to solve that can't be done in a, in a different way with less risk? And, you know, I think if you ask yourself that those questions about Bitcoin, you get some pretty good answers. When you start getting into these other currencies or tokens, um, the answers become a lot more evasive and, and hard to pin down. I, I completely agree. So getting back to where Bitcoin is, is it, would you rather see Bitcoin at uh, 200,000 a coin or 20,000 a coin for me? Well, I'm not going to pretend. I, 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 I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it worth what I think it's worth. But. Well, I, I think of it. Yeah. And, and I think of it, a little bit differently um, because I think right now there are a lot of things that are contributing factors to where we are right now. And in, in terms of the price of Bitcoin, um, you know, I think all of these other uh, altcoins and exchanges having issues is one part of it. You've got, you know, stock markets melting down um, pretty much across the board, uh, which we've talked about this before as well is that, that Bitcoin is is correlated with those assets to a large degree. I think occasionally you'll see some you know some glimpses of decoupling, but for the most part, um, it is viewed as a risk on asset asset when it should be a risk off asset. So I think that's part of it is that it's also getting dragged down by broader markets um, that are not just digital and crypto markets getting brought down. Um, and then I think there's just the more um, what I would call the FUD around it. And maybe that's more of the ESG uh, side of things, which is that there still is a pretty uh, concerted effort to, you know, paint Bitcoin as some, you know, as a, as a, a cryptocurrency that is really no different than, you know, any of the other 19,000 cryptocurrencies. I think that there is mm. still this environmental, um, you know, hang up that people have this impression that that Bitcoin is a uh, a detriment to the environment, um, which if you actually not true. do research and understand that it's just mm -hmm. flat out not true um, <clears throat> on multiple levels. And, and I think that I'll, I'll bring up this next slide that we were going to talk about, um, which is, you know, when, when everybody talks about how much the carbon footprint of Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin uh, uses so much electricity. It uses more electricity than some countries. And, you know, you get into these really kind of hyperbolic um, accusatory, um, you know, views of Bitcoin that say that it's doing harm to the environment. Um, but really what it is, is that Bitcoin is a great use of energy Um when you view what that energy is being used for, and and maybe even more importantly, um, when you compare it to the carbon footprint of other industries, um, you can see. And, and I pulled up this uh, this slide that's from Masari um, that talks about carbon emissions of Bitcoin compared to uh, other industries. And mm -hmm. first of all, if you're not watching and you're only listening, um, it compares Bitcoin to um, to the gold industry, to the global banking system, aviation, marine transportation, HVAC, um, data centers, and tumble dryers. Um, out of all of those that I just rattled off, Bitcoin is using is is the smallest carbon footprint out of all of them, with tumble dryers being second. So, Bitcoin. The entire Bitcoin ecosystem that at the moment has, um, you know, what a half a trillion dollar market cap somewhere in that range, mm -hmm. um, you know, is using le less or is emitting less greenhouse gas. And I, I, I get hung up on this because I hate the the idea that that mining Bitcoin emits anything. It doesn't emit anything. It just uses electricity. Whether that electricity is being uh, generated by burning coal or by, you know, hooking up uh, 
a turbine to a waterfall um, are two very different things. So, you know, the Bitcoin mining itself doesn't give off any carbon. But if you're going to put a carbon footprint on it and you're going to say, okay, how much energy does it use? And of that energy, how much of it requires, um, you know, greenhouse gases to be emitted in the generation of that energy? Well, mm. even then, you're still nowhere close to the gold mining industry, which, you know, you, you hear these comparisons of Bitcoin to gold. Well, the gold mining industry is about three times worse for the environment than Bitcoin, according to this chart. Um, and that's not anything even remotely approaching the aviation industry, which, you know, Bitcoin is putting in uh, 41 metric tons of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Well, you know, the aviation industry is like, 50 times that at almost 2000 metric tons. So, you know, it's all relative. And so that's the first piece of it, as far as, as I'm concerned, which is that the amount of energy used by Bitcoin compared to other industries is really pretty small. And then on top of that, if you start to factor in what that actually means um, in terms of the, the, use of that energy. What are you using the energy for? Well, what you're using the energy for is to secure the world's most powerful computer network that can then create a ledger of transactions that is completely impossible to um, change, hack, or, you know, get into unless you have the the keys or the passwords that you would need to access those assets. So, um, I would say that that's something valuable, whether whether or not there are more environmentally fr friendly ways to do it. Well, that's for the miners to figure out because they have a tremendous incentive to keep that cost as low as possible. So if they're able to use stranded energy, wasted energy, uh, abundant energy, such as hydroelectric or geothermal or nuclear power that is very cheap and clean and easy to create, if Bitcoin miners can you know, continue to adopt those types of, um, of energy sources, then not only will you see that carbon footprint go down even lower, you're going to see the ability to basically convert otherwise unused energy into monetary power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's the, 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 I'm going to call it misinformation or FUD around Bitcoin's energy usage uh, is quite extraordinary. And, and if you start to scratch at it a bit and start to dig a little deeper, you just realize that so much of what you read simply isn't true. I don't know if it's intentional or laziness or just accidental but so much of what you read about Bitcoin's energy use is, in my opinion, designed or is there to elicit negative feelings towards Bitcoin. You don't see a lot of positive stuff. Meanwhile, if you, when you start to dig a little deeper, you do see a lot of positives, particularly in the uh, oil mining industry where they can, right. they can power Bitcoin miners with gas flares and I think we're going to see a lot of the oil producers doing that just because they can generate extra revenue by doing this. It kind of solves a problem for them and, and it helps them generate extra revenue. So getting and, back and then on to top the of that, yeah. And one other thing I'll add to that is that um, aside from the natural gas flaring, which, which I think is, is a really, I mean, if you want to talk about true reduction of mm -hmm. greenhouse gases being spewed mm -hmm. into the atmosphere, well, Converting that flare gas into into Bitcoin is, is a is a significant um, way to reduce those emissions. Um, but the uh, the other thing there is when these Bitcoin mining operations partner with their local energy companies, they actually help the overall energy market in that area because what because you don't have to mine Bitcoin. Um, 24 hour, 24 seven. If you're a Bitcoin mm -hmm. miner and the energy is either too expensive or unavailable, um, you know, you're not talking about keeping the lights on at a hospital. You're talking about running computers to make money. So um, mm -hmm. the miners recognize that 
that there are there may be higher and better uses for the energy that they would otherwise be using. So what they do in a lot of locales is they will agree with the with the power companies that if you have stress on your grid that there's more demand, then we'll power down. We'll let you sell that energy to someone else at a higher price. Um, we're not going to buy it at a higher price because then the mining becomes a lot less profit, profitable very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think over time, what you'll see is that these mining companies are really going to help stabilize the electricity grids and keep some of those um, spikes in demand kind of um, tamped down by being able to throw uh, capacity back onto the grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I said, the the deeper you go, the more you realize that um, Bitcoin is actually environmentally friendly in a lot of ways. And and as it moves forward, it's going to be even more environmentally friendly, not because the Bitcoin miners are trying to be environmentally friendly, but because it's in their economic interest to find the cheapest possible power and right. that it's, ties it's a capitalism it's capitalism at work it's exactly it, yeah i mean you've got to and, and that's the thing is that the profitability of a mining operation is so dependent on the source and cost of that energy that if you want to stay profitable if you have any chance of staying profitable you have to find ways to source that energy that's you know less expensive and more creative than just plugging it into an outlet somewhere. Absolutely. So the, we've been asked, I know you've been asked this question. I know I've been asked this question quite a bit over the past week or so. And that question is what happened to Bitcoin? And my answer to that is uh, what I would have said before, which is that, people still don't understand it. It's just more proof that people don't understand what it is. And, and, and it's similar. We're going to bring Apple back in here. Why would Apple stock be down 57%? I mean, the iPhone just got released two years ago. If you were smart, you would have bought in at that point and said, okay, this is just a great thing. This is a great company. I'm just going to buy this and hold it for the next, you know, 15, 20 years. Sure. And, and the, the real answer is that, you know, and things, things like this in all kinds of markets go up, they go down. Bitcoin's a lot harder for people to understand than Amazon stock or Apple stock or GE or whatever. Um, and so the, the question of what happened to Bitcoin, nothing. The fundamentals are exactly that, that was the my same. answer. Nothing happened to it. Nothing. It's still there. Nothing. It's still putting out a block every 10 minutes. It's still... Um, I mean, we did see some drops in the in the overall hash rate, but you know it's still hovering around um, 200 exahashes, um, which is just a tremendous amount of of computing power. Um, it, you know, you're you're talking about um, just the equivalent of uh, you know we've we've seen this stat before the network is something like you know if if every single laptop in the world was was running it's still not as powerful as the bitcoin network it's just it's it's a massive massive uh decentralized network and there's nothing else like it agreed it's great it's mind-blowing so well let's move on unless you've got anything else here let's move on to some uh, adoption news yeah. All right. So we will start with this one. Another luxury product. We tend to see these a lot. The uh, Swiss luxury watchmaker Hublot is now accepting Bitcoin. So um, that is a uh, high-end watchmaker, and they have partnered with BitPay to be able to uh, to buy their watches. Uh, I guess their next uh, there's 200 watches in their collection that you'll be able to buy using Bitcoin. So that is a uh, another luxury brand that has decided that, you know, they want to allow people that want to pay with Bitcoin to pay with Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. It's, uh, they're doing a partnership with Bit, BitPay and mm-hmm. they're accepting more than just Bitcoin. This is what we're seeing yeah, with all the, the, Bit, the BitPay merchants. We typically see that with, with most of these retailers when they're adopting uh, these types of payments. 
very often it's not just Bitcoin. It's going to be Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies and possibly some stable coins. But yeah, you're going to see uh, multiple coins. And, and, you know, I think that's, I think they're smart for doing that. That is a way to capture value. If somebody, um, you know, has those coins where, that, where they've made a profit and they want to spend some of that money, then, you know, why make them convert it into something else rather than just spend it? Mm, and something I'd like to add to this is that the uh, when using BitPay, they do not have to keep it in that uh, that digital currency. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that almost all the stuff's going to get converted immediately to to whatever the the fiat of choice is for the merchant. Right, but it's at, it's payment rails, not necessarily mm-hmm. currency uh specific or currency you don't have to pick which currency you're going to accept as a merchant um you're just using the BitPay uh network or whatever their platform is to be able to transfer from one crypto asset or bitcoin into whatever other currency you want mm-hmm and we, we predicted we would see more and more of this, and we're just going to keep seeing more and more. I do think each additional one is is important. And I think a way to, to visualize that is that even though these are little like grains of sand in a bucket or, or drops of water in a bucket, they're still coming. They're, there's, they're still fairly consistent for what we're seeing i think we would see more of a problem if we saw a stop in this like we didn't see this um these small adoptions on a weekly basis you know if all of a sudden people weren't moving in this direction then i think that would be a concern much right more uh, you so know than that, a temporary price drop right i would be much more concerned if uh you know one of the one of the companies we put you know three or four weeks ago now announced they're going to stop doing it. You know, the mm-hmm. they pulled a Tesla on, on Bitcoin, but you're not seeing mm-hmm. that you're just seeing more and more people uh, taking it on rather than anybody mm-hmm. saying they're not going to, not going to do it. Um, all right. So let's go to the next one. Um, this one I thought was really interesting. So Ibex, which was the company that was going around at the Bitcoin conference in Miami in April uh, and giving everybody some sats on the lightning network to be able to spend at the conference. Um, apparently used that time in Miami as kind of a pilot program, um, to get them to onboard lightning payments into their, uh, you know, other merchant services or payment services. And so what Ibex, um, has done at this point, and now we're talking about just a couple months after the, con- the convention in Miami, um, there's 85 merchants that are now, uh, onboarding to the lightning network in Miami. I think it's awesome. I think we, I know we use the lightning network when we're down there. It worked great. I'm happy to see that there was a good test run and, and they're starting to expand it. It's going to, um, we're just going to see more and more of this. And I didn't know anything about Ibex. I didn't know they were involved in this. I still don't really know who they are. I know they've got an office when I looked it up, like Guatemala and Miami and El Salvador, which makes sense because El Salvador is kind of the lightning. lightning I think they're basically, they're basically a POS company, right? Isn't they're, they're essentially putting payment, uh, platforms into place for for their customers. Exactly, yeah, POS terminals. But um, another vendor, uh, another expansion of Lightning. You know, it's another thing. If someone's discussing Bitcoin and they're not discussing Lightning, then they're not really discussing Bitcoin. Right. Um, anything else on this, or should I move on? No, I think it's. Uh, I think it's interesting. I don't think it's earth shattering. It's nice to see. Uh, but again, this is one of those where, you know, you talk about kind of fundamental things about Bitcoin. And this is one of them where you have the ability to set merchants up on a new set of payment rails that, that you know, has only recently come into existence. And it is a instant and virtually free and final, you know, no chargeback type of settlement Mm -hmm. platform that gives 
merchants the opportunity to save money, which then gives customers the opportunity to save money. So I think, right. again, if, like you said, if you're not talking about Bitcoin, you're ignoring a very fundamental piece of the Bitcoin uh, infrastructure. Yeah. And, and by the way, Ibex charges a half a percent for these transactions. Right. It's compared to, and, and depending on the network, but you know, you're in the two and a quarter to 3% range mm. probably for mm. debit card transactions when it's all said and done. So that's mm -hmm. a significant savings. Um, all right, let's keep going here. So the next one, uh, Fountain is allowing users to earn Bitcoin while listening to podcasts. I think this is neat. Uh, I don't think it's super significant. I think there's some, there's some interesting long-term significance to this. Uh, I think this is more of a, to me, more of a marketing ploy. I think it's clever. It got me to download the app. It got me to, to see if we were on there and we are on there, which is <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. If you want to uh, earn sats, you can listen to the Bitcoin Butler's podcast on Fountain. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many sats you get. I think there's some other parts there, but the I, I, I think that paying people to do something, to listen to something is really interesting. It's an idea that it's been around for a good while and it's made possible for something like this where you're basically, you know, people are going to be paid to listen to commercials. Right. That's part of what it is on this. Um, I think it's neat. I think it's good also for the content creators that the content, you can pay the content creators. And I think we could see long-term that if I, if you want to watch something, if you want to watch, uh, let's just say a, a TV show, that you won't necessarily have a subscription to Netflix or Hulu or, or any of those services. You might just pay for what you watch. Sure. So we'll see where that ends up. But it, it, that was an interesting piece of news. And uh, I'm going to fiddle around with our app a little bit and see what I think. Yeah. But what I what I found the most interesting about this one is, like you said, it, it is kind of a uh, a new application of adoption. Um, I mean, we've seen, there are some, um, companies out there. Like I know Lolly is one of them, for example, where mm. you can earn a few sats for basically no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's nice, but this is saying, look, we're going to put up a audio podcast platform and we're going to give our listeners some form of incentive to use us versus, Amazon or Apple or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, and so, you know, why not let them earn Satoshis while they're doing it? I think that it's a clever way to do it. And over time, you know, that could become um, the way that you, that you decide what to watch is that, you know, okay, I, I'm gonna have to suffer through ads. So now I'm going to just listen to whichever ads pay me the most. And so if you're mm -hmm. able to get paid in Bitcoin in that, then great. Mm hmm. That's just another step. I mean, all these things, uh, the micropayments, another step towards the future. And it's good to see people are investing in it and people are trying to make it happen. So wish them lots of luck. Yep. Um, I, I think this did make me think of one thing that we, we may have talked about this on, when we did our recap of Miami, but um, you know, the, this idea of like, what's the smallest amount mm -hmm. of value mm -hmm. that can be transferred. Um, you know, today, if you want to pay somebody one penny using a credit card, that's not really, economically viable. Um, so if you have the ability to send, you know, a tiny number of sats over the lightning network for virtually nothing, you have the ability to transfer a tiny amount of value at a very insignificant cost. And so I think over time, you'll see that becoming, you'll see more and more applications for that, for things like this, for things like streaming media, for reading articles, reading books, whatever it is, um, you might see those subscription types of models migrate more towards, you know, like this streaming sat model where mm. you, uh, in this case, it's different because they're paying you, they're offering to pay you, but why well, then they're doing both. Yeah. Okay. So I think so, that fountain allows you to pay the creators too. I'm, I, I'm not completely sure, but I think it goes both ways. All right. Well, 
Interesting stuff. All right, let's go to the next yeah. one. This one, um, Spanish airline Vueling is going to accept Bitcoin payments. Again, um, this uh, is a partnership with BitPay. And uh, Vueling is the second largest airline that's based out of Spain with Iberia uh, being the biggest, uh, which is Iberia is a, a major airline in the world. But it looks like uh, Vueling is roughly the size of like a spirit or a frontier they've got like uh, i think about 130 uh planes in their fleet so mm-hmm. not a huge airline but you know uh, one of the significant ones in spain they they go to a lot of different destinations in spain and, and around europe and um you know so they're not an insignificant player by any means um in europe and they're going to allow their customers to pay using Bitcoin, which if it's, again, if it's BitPay, I assume they'll accept other currencies, but, uh, but Bitcoin's one of them. Yeah. I think they accept Shiba Inu for this when I looked it up, but it's more the same. And these things are great. We may not be jumping up and down about them, but if we look at it from 30,000 feet, we've got, uh, Spain for this. So, uh, a, a large company in Spain, an airline actually, uh, the Ublo watches, if that's how you pronounce it, I assume those are uh, Swiss. Mm-hmm. So it's a Swiss company. So we're seeing things all over the world where it's just becoming part of the daily, I'm going to call it consciousness. Like seven years ago, if you talked about crypto, people didn't know what it was. You couldn't really buy a lot of real things with it. And now we're seeing this. And every week we're seeing more and more people adopting it. It looks like BitPay is uh, providing a really interesting bridge to a lot of these companies. Yeah, you see a lot of these announcements are uh, have, have BitPay in mm-hmm. in the first couple of lines. They're they're mm-hmm. definitely making a big push to help this type of adoption happen. Mm-hmm. And and I know that they can convert to fiat with this right away. So yep. look, there's there's the the, the there's really no reason for a business not to do it. And I would even argue a business like Apple, why can't I buy an iPhone with Shiba? I mean, what difference does it make to Apple? They're going to connect to a payment rail, just like they connect to Visa or American Express or Discover. And it doesn't really matter what I give them. As long as I'm exchanging something of value, that's equal to or more than or equal to, in this case, a thing I want to buy. It really doesn't make a difference to the merchant. And in fact, to the merchant, they're going to pay a smaller transaction fee than they would with a credit card. So I think we're going to see more and more of this. And I would not be surprised if we see a really large player adopt this. Yeah. I, like I a walmart.com. I think we talked about that before, like a walmart.com or, just to differentiate themselves from Amazon. We're going to see it. Yeah. We will see it. And my prediction is we'll see it before the end of 2023. So in the next 18 months. Yeah. I, I would say that any of those, uh, you know, any of the big tech companies and major retailers, I would imagine all have teams of people that are working on uh, how to adopt Bitcoin, um, which will bring us to our last slide which is Deloitte and NIDIG are partnering to help institutions adopt Bitcoin. So um, I found this one really interesting. You've got um, NIDIG, who has really done a lot around um, the adoption of Bitcoin within financial institutions. They work with a lot Mm. of the banks. They work Mm. with a lot of legacy um, financial institutions to help them figure out uh, really what is their what is their overall strategy when it comes to Bitcoin, whether that has to do with, you know, your treasury strategy for holding it. uh, If you want to keep it on your balance sheet, if you're uh, a merchant and, you know, whether you're a wholesaler or a retailer, you want to be able to accept um, payments in Bitcoin or make payments in Bitcoin, um, you know, items around custody and, and how do you keep um, those holdings safe? Um, especially if you have to, you know, maintain some liquidity in Bitcoin, how do you do it? Um, so NIDIG has done a lot there. And then you've got the uh, digital asset banking group within Deloitte that really consults with fortune 500 companies for the most part. Um, and, you know, these are companies that are going to have uh, 
different reasons to to want to um, help their customers learn how to how to implement Bitcoin into their corporate structure. Um, but you know, the, we're talking about large corporations. I think the um, the companies that I saw just listed as Deloitte's clients were like you know Dell, Yamaha um adobe i mean these are you know major major corporations that if they are working already with digital asset consultants at deloitte um and then now they're going to bring in the experts at nidig these are companies that are you know taking this seriously and deloitte um would would probably not be going out and trying to build a practice around this if they didn't think it would be uh uh fruitful for them no, I agree. And Deloitte, I, I thought this was the most significant news of the week. Uh, I, I have a question for you. How many meetings do you think Deloitte had before they approved this? <laughs> and how long were they? How long was that being discussed for before they approved it? Because, you know, there, there's one thing I know about uh, Deloitte in that world, which is that they're not doing this on like a flyer. They're not just saying, oh, you know, why don't we get, why don't we just give this a shot and see what happens. There's a lot of reputational risk there for them. And you know how those companies work. I mean, this was a lot of thought was put into this and uh, I'm guessing a lot of hand wringing and they're just not going to, you're talking about one of the four largest accounting firms in the world. They're they're, um, a monster. And, and, And by the way, there used to be, the big six, that's now the big four. Mm. And, and none of those four wanted to be the big three. So they, they don't do right. things easily. Um, they're going to be fairly conservative in their approach to things. They're going to have a lot of bureaucratic red tape. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who have worked there for you know decades, probably, that are not only going to not understand this, they're just going to say, why would we possibly want to do this so i'm sure that there was um i'm sure i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of those partner meetings to Mm. to see how they came to this agreement but but i would imagine that um enough people recognize that this was an opportunity for them and you know regardless of how things pan out in this industry um, at a minimum there are companies that need help and deloitte has the type of consultants that have the ability to help so it makes sense it does i also think it'd be i mean if if any large company is not thinking about receiving i'm gonna say receiving payments in in a digital format right digital i mean like a digital currency or a digital asset type payment uh that's negligent and if a large company is also not thinking about how to do those next steps, like keeping uh, digital assets on their balance sheet, then they're also being negligent because you can't wait until we were saying like how many meetings did Deloitte have? Well, Deloitte is a Deloitte is like a giant cruise ship. It's like mm-hmm. the, you know, just imagine, you know, one of those super, the, 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 the super large cruise ships, the biggest ones you're going to see. And for them to, to change course or do anything is a long and cumbersome process. A, a small company is more like a speedboat. They can just sure. do whatever they want. Change Zip in and out of wherever they want. In and out. Exactly. So a lot of time and effort went into this just by the very nature of that type of decision. And then they decided to make this public and put out a press release and get in the news. So they wanted it out there also. It wasn't something that they they had a non-disclosure agreement about and they're just going to keep under wraps. They wanted to be out there. So Deloitte is putting themselves front and center and saying, hey, if you're a Fortune 500 company and you need uh, help with your crypto strategy, because we're going to have to call it that, Mm -hmm. we can help. And, And we've partnered up with this company who's been helping a lot of the banks and other financial institutions get on board, which is NYDIG. And, uh, you know, we can offer these services now. So it's, it's just all part of how we are seeing the world around us change. 
And the world doesn't change overnight. It's one of those things where it, it's it, it kind of creeps along, and before you know it, something is different. Or you have like a, you know, maybe you go to uh, Chipotle and you see they have a new point of service terminal in there, and all of a sudden it has a QR code and you can pay with Lightning. Like that may happen one day, but the steps leading up to that, you won't necessarily see. And the fact that it's in there is going to be more like interesting or like, hey, guess what I saw today rather than mind blowing. Right. It's not going to come out of the blue. Like I went to Chipotle and they had this thing where you could pay with like fake money. You could pay for a burrito with fake money. I haven't even heard of this stuff. That's not there. Right. Uh, you know, my, my parents are are uh, in their mid-70s. They don't follow the crypto market in any way. They know what it is. They know it's there. Almost everyone knows it's there. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't sure. know the last time I ran into someone and said, you know, if we're discussing Bitcoin, you know, what? What is that? Everyone <laughs> knows that it's a thing. It's in the... I mean, it's on the the ticker if you watch CNBC. Sure, it's on uh, the top of all you know anything finance related. You'll see the the Bitcoin price there. So it's a very unique and interesting adoption cycle. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen this in the world before. It's not like a new device. It's not like a VCR or microwave or. Well, it's not, and it's also not like a company coming out and saying, "Look at our new product." Mm-mm. Right. I mean, it's it's companies coming out and saying we're going to figure out a way to incorporate this product into what we already have. And that, that makes it a lot different. Another thing I was thinking about with the whole Deloitte thing, and this was maybe something that helped move the needle in the direction of them doing this deal, is that there's so much regulatory uncertainty around the world of Bitcoin and especially when it comes mm-hmm. to how um, you handle some of the accounting treatment for it, uh, because some of the current rules don't necessarily make sense. And, you know, I am an accountant by nature, but I'm not going to get into the accounting side of things. But the point is that there's still a lot of development that has to happen in the accounting world um, as it relates to these types of assets being held. And I think that Deloitte probably sees an opportunity there because a lot of solicitation comes from the various regulatory bodies, whether it's the SEC or the AICPA or the, you know, the accounting standards boards or whatever that are kind of help putting that accounting guidance in place. I think this, you know, maybe gives Deloitte the idea that if they're closer to it, they'll be able to help drive some of those policy decisions in a way that is more favorable for them and their clients. I agree. And I also think it's good for Deloitte. I, I can guarantee you that of the big four accounting firms, they're all looking into this. They're all building up practices. They're all trying to figure out ways to um, uh, to account for digital assets correctly because there isn't a lot of knowledge out there. So they're going to have to they're going to have to work with regulators to, uh, in some cases, to develop it. And they're also going to have to study it to see what needs to be done. But it's uh, it's uh, all these roads and all these news stories are only pointing in one direction. And while the price of Bitcoin or the exchange rate of Bitcoin may be pointing in a, I'm going to call it a negative direction, the the macro outlook for Bitcoin and the amount of infrastructure that's being built is extremely positive, extremely bullish. And uh, those two things are going to be reconciled at some point in time, much like the, the Apple stock we were looking at, which was that eventually things catch up with what's there and things do change course and they can change course extremely quickly and with an asset like bitcoin everyone knows that bitcoin i heard something this week where someone said people didn't believe me but i really think that bitcoin could go from like five thousand 
to 500,000 in like <laughs> less than a month. And like people think I'm crazy when I say that, but when you think about it, and at first I'm like, well, that does sound a bit crazy. And then I thought it through a bit and it's, it's unlikely, but it's possible. It could happen. And Bitcoin, there are no rules. You have something that, that, that is particularly, well, it's, it's trading. It never stops trading. You can always cash out of right. Bitcoin. And so I think that, uh, because you have that there, uh, it, it's an easy asset to sell. It's also, unfortunately, a fairly easy asset to manipulate in the market. And I don't think enough time is spent on on how Bitcoin is being manipulated and how you can manipulate it. But every market is manipulated to some degree. Uh, the gold and silver markets have been manipulated for like 50 years. Oh, yeah. And you could read about all the different fines. JP Morgan paid almost a billion dollar fine for manipulating the silver market. Yeah. Uh, I think they made like over 10 billion doing it. So <laughs> it paid 10% out. But the Bitcoin market has a lot less uh, regulation to it. It's kind of the Wild West. You can do whatever you, you know, there's, there's no limit to what you can do with it. So you're going to see wild swings of Bitcoin, um, which is another reason why we, we like to, to look at it in relation to other assets, particularly equities. And you see that, yeah, it's a little wilder, but it's not, to me, it's just not that different at sure. the end of the day. I agree. I do agree. So we're good. Um, what else? Oh, I'm done. I don't think right. we have anything else, but you can uh, tell people where they can find us, please. Yeah, so uh, our website, btcbutlers.com. Um, you can email us there, info at btcbutlers.com. Uh, our Twitter handle, at btcbutlers. Uh, our DMs are open in Twitter. If you are watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, comment. We'd love to hear from you. Check out our website. Uh, if you are interested in implementing best practices for Bitcoin owners, uh, whether that's buying, your Bitcoin, storing your Bitcoin in your own self-custody, uh, inheritance planning, which is a specialty of ours, or running your own node. We can help you with any of that. Uh, you can also download our free sovereign inheritance planning guide on our website, which will lead you down the path of creating a roadmap for your heirs to access your uh, Bitcoin and other assets, whether they're digital or not. Um, and that is something that uh, everybody's family should have in place. So um, if you have any questions or would like our help, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you and we appreciate you listening. All right, Matt. Thank you so much. Be well. You too. Until next time. Bye. Bye.